Hello, and welcome to our time around scripture today. Take your Bible, please, and turn to John chapter 4. While you're looking for John 4, uh, a story from my life, Leslie's life from 1985. We were in Poland. Uh, we used to minister there, uh, walking with some friends, and we're walking down a street, and there's this large um, cement utilitarian skyscraper in front of us. No beauty to it whatsoever, and Leslie says, what's with that building? And the Polish lady with us says, I see nothing. I'm thinking, what do you mean you see nothing? It's right there. Come to find out, she says, it was built by the Soviet Russians, and we hate the Russians here. Why is that? Well, think about this. Post-World War II, the Russians expanded the Soviet Union and Soviet communism's reach. Formerly free nations like Poland and Romania, the Ukraine, Estonia, Latvia, Yugoslavia, East Germany, they were all put to varying degrees under Soviet control. And as each nation was invaded, if you will, to um, defeat the Germans, and they pulled back, when the troops pulled back, the communism stayed. And in the years that followed, the Russians um, had a design that said Russian citizens should move into those areas and begin to intermarry so that Russian would become the common language from one nation to another and that there would be some binding together. And the local, local populations hated the Russians in their midst for the first generation. But their kids, they began to do what the Soviets had hoped. They began to marry one another and intermarriage was a way to, if you will, seal the conqueror's future role. Armies and nations of the past have had similar tactics to intermarry with the local, local population and thus um, seal control, if you will. Now, biblical story today in John chapter 4 features this sort of move by a ruling nation. I want you to take a look at a map here. It's a map of Samaria. It's the nation just, if you will, in the ancient world, just west of Israel. And much of what we hear about the West Bank in present-day Israel, the political struggles in the West Bank here in the 21st century, that would be this area known as Samaria. And we're going to chat about, you see that arrow moving north in just a moment or two, because here's what's going on here as we read into and begin looking at John 4. Ten centuries before Jesus, 1000 BC, the people living in Samaria were Jewish. They, like the rest of all Jews, traced their roots back to Moses. But in 722, the Assyrians, modern-day Syria, ancient Assyria, became the world's leader, the driving economic and military presence. And they conquered Israel, including Samaria, and they did what the Soviet Russians did right after World War II. They moved Assyrians into Samaria and began intermarrying with the locals there to a much greater degree than took place in other places in Israel. And thus, in the centuries that followed, the rest of Israel, they began to dislike what were, in fact, their distant cousins. They used some very harsh language. Jews viewed Samaritans with disgust. Half-breeds, they would say. Yeah, half-breeds. Half-breeds, it's an ugly word, isn't it? That half-breed, horrid racial distrust and hatred is how the Jews of Jesus' day viewed the Samaritans. And if you were an ancient Jew traveling, say, from Jerusalem in the south up to Galilee, you can see it here on the map again, the closest route where the arrow is would be to go through Samaria. But most would say, I don't want to go anywhere near Samaria, and they would choose a longer route. They'd cross the Jordan River going east, walk many extra miles to forego having to meet or talk with a Samaritan. And yet in John chapter 4, we learn that Jesus intentionally 
chose to travel right through the place where these undesirable people lived. And so the story is found in John chapter 4, and I invite you to read the first few verses of John 4 with me. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, for that the Pharisees are after him, he left Judea and went once more back to Galilee. So he's going to go north. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Jacob, Joseph, pardon me. And that plot of land is still there. The well is still in operation today. There's a big church built over it, but it's still there. Jacob's well, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So this is uh, Jewish, ancient Jews started counting the day at six o'clock. So this is about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy some food, but the Samaritan said to him, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This Samaritan woman sets up the problem. These two groups of people, the Samaritans versus the Jewish people, they really distrusted each other. And this woman knows that, man, this fellow, whoever he is, shouldn't be talking to me. See, a few years after Jesus' ministry, this antagonism between the two groups became so great that some Samaritans got involved in a plot to damage their Jewish cousin's spirituality. They snuck into Jerusalem, into the Jewish temple at night, and desecrated it by spreading dead bodies throughout the temple. So this Samaritan woman was very correct when she said, you know, Jews and Samaritans, we don't speak to each other. And Jesus is breaking a very strict taboo. He's speaking to someone of another race from the perspective of the Jewish people, a race that is despised. Let's see what happens as the story carries on. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for a drink, you would have asked you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now the woman replies back, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. You don't have a bucket, in other words. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, Whoever drinks this water will never be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will spring up in him, a water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, Jesus says to the woman, Go call your husband and come back. He's going to explain it to her. And she says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, here's the truth, lady. You've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are our prophet. You are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain. See, the Samaritans had a special mountain that they called holy. Nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, 
and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman then has this realization. I know you are the Messiah called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Now, what we have here is we have, first of all, Jesus breaking a, a social taboo. Not only is he going to a place he's not supposed to go, he's also speaking to a woman. It was unlikely and improper in that ancient world for men and women to talk to each other in this sort of setting. And in talking to her, Jesus, apparently through some divine knowledge, he, he, he identifies her story. He says, well, you've had a number of failed relationships. Jesus divinely knows of five husbands and now a live-in lover. lover. Um, biblical commentators indicate it was unreasonable for her to come to the well at midday. Women usually started carrying water early in the morning in order to beat the heat in Israel. And commentators wonder if she came at this time, at, at noon, if you will, lunchtime. Did she come for the sake of not meeting others, namely that she lived a life of shame? And if so, what raced through her mind? What was she thinking? Would she perhaps have thought something like this? Parched and dry, there was an emptiness that consumed me. I was a hollow shell. I moved from moment to moment without passion, without joy. My life had seen its share of hardships, and the burdens I carried were heavy. I yearned for something to fill me. My dry and empty soul longed to be soothed. Those around me offered no consolation, no hope, no peace. I even drew water in the hottest part of the day just to avoid the pain of their silence. Where was God? Why had he allowed me these burdens? I ached for what my life could have been as I looked at what it was. God, where are you? Can't you hear me? Don't you care? I cried out again and again. I had no more tears, nothing left. But that trip to draw water changed everything. He was a Jewish teacher and I a Samaritan woman. He wasn't even supposed to talk to me. So many barriers separated us. Gender, religion, ethnicity. And yet he spoke to me. He asked for a drink, but offered a spring that would never run dry. He asked for water and gave me living water. He asked about my past, but offered no judgment. God was there. He heard me. He cared. I found the spring, the living water. He soothed my empty soul. He carried my burdens and sorrow. He filled the hollow emptiness. And I moved from moment to moment 
consumed with passion and joy. My thirst was satisfied. My life and my mouth spoke of joy that would never run dry. I found Messiah. So with Jesus breaking these two taboos, talking to a mistrusted racial group and to a woman, Jesus brings up the subject of living water. He offered an inner spring that provides nourishment and cooling life forever. This is what Jesus said. Everyone who drinks this water will be, will be thirsty again. Like you get the water out of the well, you're going to drink, but in a few hours you're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, we're taping this message today on the farmland of one of our church members. And you can see there's a pond right here behind me. It's a former gravel pit that helped, they believe, form the roads of our county more than 100 years ago, they think. It's a very peaceful setting. The farm also has a stream that runs through the property. And that river will be like everlasting water as long as there's a water source upstream. We chose this setting in direct contrast to the setting of Jesus and the Samaritan woman because the land of Samaria is dry, it's parched, and dry parched, dry and parched, you know, when you got that right back in your throat, that's a fitting metaphor for the woman's soul. The stream is a water source, as a water source is a fitting metaphor for our relationship with Jesus. See, his death on the cross provides us with a living source of grace and forgiveness of sins. You could put it this way, that Jesus' death, like we'd say that the stream here on this farm will keep running as long as there's a water source up, upstream. Well, Jesus' death for us is an upstream event that has consequences that never end. It's a living water gift. And so we're gonna have communion together. And as we have communion together, I'd invite you to tap into the source of Jesus Christ the water for your soul. And so let's pray as we take communion together, and then I invite you to serve each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus Christ came as the source of our lives, the source of eternal life. We thank you that that eternal life was expressed through the blood that Jesus gave, through his body that he allowed to be beaten and died. That provides us with an eternal source of water, if you will, an eternal source of um, living water. As we eat and drink today, we do so in remembrance of Jesus, remembering what he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Through the storm and through the night. 